welcome to Season 7 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that's dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from around the globe who believe the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. Today's episode is brought to you by Grand Huron International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today I'm joined by two guests, Barb Steele, who is the Executive Director of Ashoka Canada, a social purpose organization that supports social entrepreneurs tackling some of today's most urgent challenges. She brings insight and experience from the corporate and citizen sector to her role and holds an HBA, which I'd never heard of, an Honours in Business Administration from the Ivy Business School at Western University, as well as a Master's in Science in Organizational Development at Pepperdine. Fabrice is our second guest, who is the founder of Pour Trois Points, a nonprofit organization that helps transform sports coaches into life skills coaches, thereby improving the achievement of youth athletes in low-income schools. Fabrice is also, he also works as a commentator with La Presse, uh, one of Quebec's leading news media outlets, and prior to his shift into social entrepreneurship, Fabrice practiced as a commercial litigator. And lastly, Fabrice is a proud Ashoka fellow, which is why he's joining Barb today. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you so much, Anita. Great to be here. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Anita. Yeah, it's so much fun always to speak to anybody in the ecosystem of social entrepreneurship and social innovation, because that is the foundational place where I discovered empathy in the first place, because all these social entrepreneurs that were doing amazing work cared so much about the people for whom they were or with whom they're doing the work. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, what, if people don't know about Ashoka, Barb, what can you share about the organization? What's the backstory? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, thank you for that, Anita. And you're right, people likely don't know about Ashoka. I call Ashoka one of Canada's best kept secrets. So we really appreciate this opportunity to highlight the work. And it really is as introduced, it's an incredible organization that's dedicated to finding and supporting social entrepreneurs. We call them Ashoka Fellows. And these are people who every day right now are working to mitigate climate change, to end racism, to reduce poverty towards the goals of reconciliation. And there are there is so much inspiring um, work going on. I, I really think people need to know these good news stories. And it's such a great connection here because empathy is also the core of our organization. And in fact, the distinguishing characteristic, which um, our founder, Bill Drayton, uh, first thought about in his travels through India and thinking if we, if we could find special people deeply rooted in empathy, who were had all the skills of a, an amazing entrepreneur and were focused on social issues, there, there wouldn't be problems um, that we could not make progress against. And so that that really is the backstory and um, continues to be true today. So Ashoka Canada is a part of Ashoka Global, where there's 4,000 entrepreneurs around the world working in 90 countries. And as I said, really tackling our most urgent challenges. Our work also now focuses on helping young people develop the skills of change makers from our sort of experience with social entrepreneurs. We know 
we still have a lot of work to do to solve the world's problems. Can't do it alone. And we need to help everyone become a change maker. Beautiful. That sets the stage super well. So Fabrice, why don't we um, turn, you know, pass the baton on to you. You are a social entrepreneur. You made the transition into social entrepreneurship. What is the backstory there behind Pour Trois Points? Oh, um, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I would have to go back to my childhood, um, given, given the fact that uh, much of uh, the creation of Pour Point is due to my personal um, upbringing, being, um, being a Haitian Montrealer, I would say my, you know, I was born in the city and my parents coming from, from Haiti, which has, um, basically led me to, um, thinking a lot about inequalities globally because I had my parents at home telling me about um, why Haiti is the country that it is today. And, and, and you know, uh, Haiti has a very, very rich history, but uh, colonialism um, and slavery um, has, have been part of, you know, the, 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 the story, uh, the history of the people of the country. And also I grew up in a Northeastern part of Montreal where I was close to very um, different neighborhoods um, uh, of the city, which are part of the most um, disadvantaged neighborhoods, not only in the city of Montreal, but, but also in the country. Um, so thinking about inequalities, both globally and locally, ha, um, has been part of my um, um, history. And also, um, I, um, I, you know, I grew up, irrespective of the complexity of poverty, thinking about how much a coach a sports coach co could make a tremendous um difference in a youth uh, in a youth uh uh youth lives and uh you know playing sports myself having coaches who uh, coaches who supported me grew up individually and and learn skills much beyond sports becoming a coach and and giving back and paying it forward and doing pretty much the same in my own environment um and ultimately realizing, um, and you didn't mention that I was formerly a practicing lawyer, uh, realizing uh, that, you know, while I was going to uh, the courthouse, uh, I would very much quite often see uh, former friends that I grew up with uh, in my, in my uh, uh, childhood who were there because they were not working, they were faced with criminal charges, and they all have had the same profile of um, you know, friends of mine who grew up in an environment that didn't provide for, you know, um, the chances to succeed, um, who were, were um, passionate about sports and who could have thrived had they had the, the right support. And, and, and that's pretty much was the idea. You know, I'm going in a nutshell here, but um, using my experience and knowledge of, of, of sports coaching as, as a mean to support um, youth development, with the larger goal of tackling social inequalities and inequities. So that's really basically the, um, what has led me to creating Pour Trois Points. And I would add, because I think that it is relevant in this conversation that um, Pour Trois Points was launched in 2011, but I did quit my job as a lawyer in 2013 uh, to, to really focus on the creation and growth of Pour Trois Points. And much of it has been through our conversations because you know I discovered the field of social entrepreneurship through um, the work that you do, reading your, your thesis, meeting with uh, social entrepreneurs that you uh, connected me with. So the field of social entrepreneurship was something that I did not know of when I created PowerPoint. And, and throughout my, 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 my uh, upbringing, my, my journey, before I left my job, you know, we had many, many multiple conversations. So I, I, I believe that I deepened my knowledge of what social entrepreneurship was 
through partly through our conversation that have led me to, I guess, um, uh, finding much more of my social entrepreneur identity. Well, thanks for saying that. I mean, I remember when I introduced you to John Wood, who I think is a quintessential yes. social entrepreneur. And, um, you know, he had achieved so much through Room to Read uh, over his, you know, 20 years scaling that organization. And it's been amazing to watch you over the last decade, Fabrice, follow in his footsteps and, you know, really achieve all that great impact that you have at scale um, for Pultre Point. So congratulations. But, you know, I read on your website that the coronavirus highlighted deep injustices in our society. And you say, the, the website says, Ashoka Canada Fellows are working on the front lines to transform systemic poverty and racism. So can you unpack that a little bit? Like, you know, what did co coronavirus do within the discourse, you know, and, and, and what's being done about that now? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think, um, you know, taking an empathy lens on the question, certainly um, the problems were always there, but the gap and the cracks has become so much more visible in through such a short period of time because of the pandemic. And this would mean really those least able to withstand the shocks of health, of, you know, um, insecure employment, of, um, on the other hand, racism and discrimination are on the front lines and the ones who are placed in harm's way to a much greater extent. And so, you know, if you weren't already worried about the world, I think many people today have a deeper sense that we're all in this together, a global pandemic. And so we, you know, people would ask me, how is Ashoka during a business has never been better because the demand sure is rising. And, um, and we are doubling down on our commitment. We are in the middle of a commitment to double um, the, the number and impact of fellows in Canada with specific goals to diversify the geography, issues, culture, and language of our fellowship. And we're, we're doing that. Um, and so I think the gap highlighted, we have a program that works. We know that 95% of people like Fabrice will impact policy, 93% impact market systems, 97% are working at the level of mindset and culture shift. These are the things that we need to make long-term systemic change. And 83% um, of, of those will say that Ashoka helped them um, increase their impact. So we're just here ready to serve at a greater rate. And, um, you know, I invite everyone who wants a dose of feeling good to check out our fellow page um, and I have some stories if we, if time allows Anita of a couple of fellows working in this area, but um, it's really all about that work that is really of the moment in, in the need and the approach to solutions. Well, I know my audience and they'll say, why would I wait when this good story is ready to be told? So would you mind sharing yeah. a couple of impact stories now? Sure. I, I, I have two, um, and you hopefully uh, will know these uh, social entrepreneurs. The first uh, is Dr. Cindy Blackstock, working through the First Nations Caring Society to end um, discrimination around children and families and inequitable access to health care and resources. And um, if you don't know the story, um, 
Dr. Cindy Blackstock won a a landmark decision that Canada um, would end the systemic discrimination of First Nations children who did not receive healthcare resources um, anywhere near the same level. Um, I can't remember when it was before 2019 and um, has has fought the government to pay up against that um, decision year after year after year with um, millions and millions of dollars spent by the Canadian government to appeal this decision. So her work continues um, unabated and with greater focus. And I believe it was April of this year that resources were to begin flowing. I'm unsure whether that has happened yet. So I did a quick bit of research and couldn't um, couldn't get a final uh, view on that. The second story is uh, Paul Paul Bourne, who is founder of Tamrec Institute. Are you familiar? Yes, I am. I yes. don't know him, but I know the organization. So uh, Ashoka Fellow, also a personal mentor who's helped me really turn around Ashoka Canada. And Paul is working to combat poverty. And uh, Tamrec just celebrated its 20th year anniversary. And um, it's around really deepening, building and deepening community and building capacity to develop um, plans to reduce poverty reduction plans. And so in 2012, the poverty rate in Canada was 15.2%. In 2022, it's 6.5. So 1 million Canadians no longer living in poverty. And certainly you can never sort of attribute a change like that solely to one effort. But this is a well-recognized program. And what it involves is um, building community and then helping municipalities develop their own poverty reduction plan. The theory being we care about all everyone in our community. And uh, when he started, there was a pilot group of less than a dozen. Now there's 330 poverty reduction plans um, in the, sorry, 30, 330 municipalities in the reducing poverty network. So yay for results. <laughs> you seem so proud of the work that yes. the fellows are doing. I mean, it's almost sort of, you know, I, I attended convocation on campus. I saw some of my former students graduate. It was like this pride to see them succeed. I think that's the way you feel about your fellows, right? Mm-hmm. Like go off and change the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fellows are at the heart of what we do. You know, we, it's a fellowship for life. We're with them through all the life stages, um, including towards the end. And, um, you know, there couldn't be a better job than getting up and every day working to help, you know, increase the impact and interest in these incredible entrepreneurs. Today's episode was brought to you by Grant Here and International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. Super. So I'll turn it over to you, Fabrice, for this question, because... You know, I've seen quite a bit of change in the last decade uh, within the space of social entrepreneurship. We all knew 10 years ago that it was about sort of tackling these intractable social problems, different theories of change, different ways of, you know, going about the programming. And so that's that's been sort of the the what I call the political nature of social entrepreneurship is let's challenge the status quo and create something different. But I've seen more and more of the spiritual nature of social entrepreneurship coming to the fore. And what I mean by spiritual is nothing religious. I just mean that, you know, humanity, you know, if we want to look at it from a kind of philosophical or 
spiritual dimension is that, you know, we're all in this together. COVID really brought that to life, but it's going to continue to be that with climate change unfolding. And, and I just wonder from your personal vantage point, maybe you have lots of things to share about how you've developed a whole set of skills and leadership capacities as a social entrepreneur. But I wonder if you would speak to how you as a human being have changed through your work. Um, I believe that I've changed a lot, given the fact that our work is about coaching and really relating to the individual. So by the, the nature of us coaching coaches, it's all about um, that, uh, in French, we say la relation d'aide, the, the, the relationship where you're uh, committed to supporting the individual. And, and I do believe that this had a tremendous impact on how I see myself and how I see others because I was invited to really um, deepen my connection to, to me as a person and to my own spirituality. Um, the fact that I, I um, created a coach training program, I was invited to considering what is leadership basically. Later after we started creating our coach training program, that was back in 2013, I believe. Um, I entered a coach training program myself, um, and, and, and we're talking about here about, about personal and professional coaching uh, with uh, using what we call the integral approach, which is an approach that uh, goes beyond supporting coaches in how they engage with their clients using techniques and tactics about business strategies, but it's really about engaging with your own, your own emotions, thoughts, spirituality, relationships, and um, I discovered back then that I was not connected to my own emotions at all. I was really, really using my cognition as the way to engage with my, myself and my surroundings. And through that program, it opened up so many different types of intelligences. Um, and, and, and that has been uh, a door that opened. And, and since then, it really shifted the way I see uh, humanity as a whole. So when we're talking about empathy or compassion, or, you know, which is quite two um, similar notions, I would say. The connection with my own emotions has been key because it, it has allowed me to um, broaden how I, the, you know, broaden how I would actually analyze a given relationship. And that had an impact on, the, on each and every relationship that I have, but how I see society um, in general. So much of the work that, that I do today um, has to do with, inviting people to shift away from the very, you know, the strategic plans in terms of, you know, having a goal, um, uh, KPI plan and resources, it's way beyond that. So it's, it's much about what are the subtle interactions, what are the subtle energies that we can actually be attuned to when we engage with someone who's a human being in front of us. The more I engage in that type of work, the more I realize that our societies are not um, built to um, support humans as a whole. And we do have a more industrialized and mechanical way of, of engaging at school, at work. And, and much, much, much of my work is trying to honor the fact that, yes, you do need um, some level of expertise to um, you know, manage your finances and, and build bridges and whatnot. But if we are to actually find ways to better engage with humans, 
um, I would like us to actually uh, engage it with our own humanity differently. And yeah, to me, my journey has, has been part of what has led me to thinking that way. So what I find really fascinating about your answer is when I, in my classroom, I teach, you know, undergrads, they're just tipping into their early 20s. And they're in the business school to a large extent, except for a, 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 a sort of a, a, a critical mass coming from international development. They're harping on the fact that, oh, we want to learn how to get away from like monetary funds being transferred from one nation to another in these big like multinational organizations because they, you know, they're a little bit bored of that. So they're excited by entrepreneurship. The business school students are like a little bit confused that you could actually do social good using entrepreneurial skills. Oh, what's this impact investing? Not really um, clear, but I find that um, there's something that opens up for them when they realize that they actually can pursue a career doing work that is super meaningful to the world and super rewarding on a personal level. And I think it's just thanks to the, the coronavirus pandemic that we've heard of this great recession where even older people are really re reflecting deeply on their careers and how they wanna spend their time at, in legacy work. So I always like to ask this question of social entrepreneurs that far enough along the road like you, but feel free Barb, because you've been exposed to so many and you have your own path what would you say to people who are still working, you know, in a job that they're not in love with, but they have these other passions, they recognize that there's things that they could do to contribute to the world, but they're not making the shift. What would you say to nudge them? So one thing that I would say is that um, not everyone has to become a social entrepreneur, right? And it, 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 it really has to do with finding, um, you know, every person finding their own path. And, and for some people, it will be entrepreneurship. For some people, it will be something, something else. And that is fine. And I do believe that this is the, the challenge. Um, um, it is really about trying to connect with our own personal um, uh, raison d'être, uh, you know, the reason why we're here that may change over time. and and. And, and, and also finding our own mission. And, and we're not very much invited to um, thinking about these topics on an everyday basis. Just recently, I was with my colleagues in a retreat and, and they were uh, invited to, to write about what their mission and, and, and personal vision is. And some of them said, well, I mean, this is not easy to do. I mean, I'm not used to doing that. And I do believe that being invited to doing that is something that um, really helps people connect with what um, they're really about, you know, on this planet. And and sometimes the answers, not sometimes, most likely, the answers don't have much to do with what you've studied in university and or in you know new, uh, undergraduate studies or or your PhD. It has to do with you know sometimes little stories that really impacted you and had a tremendous. Um, uh, lasting, um, yeah, impact on, on you as a, as a child and as a, as a teenager. And, and discovering these stories is, is really, really key. I'm going to jump in here, Anita, because I would be remiss if I were not to repeat our vision, which is uh, everyone, everyone a change maker. And uh, we don't have a lot of time um, on many fronts, and we need everyone with one foot in whatever they need to do to keep their 
life and world going and the other foot moving forward towards purpose and, you know, economic and social good for all. And um, whether you're a parent, a teacher, a nurse, you know, um, a truck driver, you know, any profession, there, there is uh, reform needed. And you can be part of that reform. And one of the things we have learned at Ashoka is the earlier you experience agency, the more likely you are to go on and become a powerful change maker. So I don't think everyone has to be a social entrepreneur, but I think everyone can be, and we need you to be a change maker and scratch that itch. Because once you discover what that feels like, you're never going back. Like, why wouldn't you want to bring your full self, your dreams for a better world, dreams for a better community and family, you know, and be an active part of making that happen? Yeah. And I mean, that so speaks to me because I discovered, I guess, about a year ago, maybe that um, um, Maslow, right, we're talking about Abraham Maslow, who did the hierarchy of needs. We all know that little triangle, right, from our intro to psych class. And, you know, the idea was self-actualization was the pinnacle of human achievement. And towards the end of his life, he realized, no, I was so wrong about that. And he wrote quite a bit about self-transcendence. And I feel that social change making, so change making, being a change maker, and one expression of that is social entrepreneurship, but being a change maker it is is sort of a, an embodiment of that self-transcendence where it's being in service to some higher calling or something bigger than yourself on behalf of your fellow humanity. So I think, why wouldn't we be attracted to something that allows us to call all upon our, the best version of ourself? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, oh, go ahead, Barb. I was just going to say, I'm so optimistic about our young people. This is where we're going to break this sort of uh, cycle that we're in around um, economy and growth at the expense of society and environment. Barb, just a quick question. Um, Also on your website, I noticed, or maybe it was on YouTube, there was a video of Bill Drayton, the founder of Ashoka, who Mm -hmm. said, the course of human history has been moving towards a more and more empathy-based society. And this is the critical moment where we shift to everyone being powerful. It's the only way to have real equality. So just curious to know how your organization is contributing to this empathy movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so great question. I would say uh, in two ways, uh, importantly through the election of Ashoka Fellows who create roles for everyone from an empathy-based perspective and also through Changemaker Education. So we have a program um, that's uh, pointed at post-secondary education, which is helping um, integrate social innovation, social entrepreneurship on campuses across Canada and around the world. And um, this is really starting to churn churn out and graduate young change makers. So that's um, a second way. And um, there's also some emerging work going on around Ashoka Young Changemakers, uh, which is about finding uh, younger leaders who can help others sort of find their way through to answer the question you were asking about how do people sort of act on this. So one of the things I wanted to mention, Anita, was also collaboration. And I think one thing that empathy does, it really allows us to step into deep, meaningful collaboration uh, without ego and, and really allow power to shift. 
And this, we know, is a critical element of solving these deep, urgent, cross-system challenges. That's so interesting. One of the questions I always ask my students is, give me a verb that you think describes the best kind of social entrepreneurship. And there's a lot of verbs that come up. We write them out on the board. And then they're always interested to know that I think it's listening. Yeah. (laughs) I I was thinking about listening too. Yeah. I I put listening number one, deep deep listening. You know, listening, it's so easy to say and so hard to do. You could spend your life learning to critically listen. Totally agree. 100% agree. All right. Now, usually we're we're getting to the tail end of our conversation. I like to ask guests to share a story, but I'm going to try to slide in, sneak in one last question for Fabrice on the empathy topic. Because you work in the space of coaching, you yourself have, you said you've, you've, you've taken some coaching certification. You use a model of coaching where it's not just sports coaching. I mean, sports coaching is the gateway to life skills coaching slash, I suppose, some mentorship in there. I wonder what you would say, where's the place for empathy and why is empathy important to coaching? Because all of us are in our own worlds, whether we've got nieces or nephews or students or friends, we're, you know, we can all learn from this moment. So um, I believe that um, the etymology of the word coach is helpful to answer that question. Um, so, so the word coach, um, the, the, is not in its root, at its root connected to winning championships or, you know, having a sports banner and medals. That's not it. It's it's actually the the car that, um, was built in, in Europe in the, I believe 15th or 16th century that, um, it it was called a coach. It would bring people and uh, goods from one point uh, of to, to an, it, it, from one point A to point B. So it's a car, and and to bring merchandise and individuals. So so the, the you know you have the the, the 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 bus that is called that is branded coach. That that's where it it comes from. And I'm talking about that because um, when we're talking about the role of the coach, it's really about guiding and supporting someone in the way the the destination that they want to go to and it's not about um imposing where you want to go to and much of the coach the coaching much of the 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 work of the coach is exactly isn't about imposing your own needs on the other individual and and even with with good intentions sometimes we do that and and you know when i'm in a coaching relationship I often sometimes do that without being aware of it. So being mindful of, of where I'm at in terms of my own needs, but also, and that goes to your question about empathy, being curious about um, what the person's um, own goals and needs and aspirations are is, is key in the relationship. And, and the truth is, you know, my, my opinion on the topic um, is that we sometimes talk about empathy um, as being something that is fairly easy, whereas being fully empathetic is impossible because you you will never fully know, you know, what what how how someone feels. All you can do is project and imagine something. So it's it's really a delicate relationship. So you know, the coaching role to me, the idea of the car is helpful because it's really about trying to connect with where the person wants to go and not where what you want to impose. I love that. I'm so glad I asked that question. 
So to conclude, since there's two of you, I get two stories this afternoon. Can you tell I love doing these interviews? You guys have been such a delight. I mean, it's a Monday when we're taping this, and I just feel like the day, the week is off to a great start now. Um, whoever wants to go first, I like asking the question, can you think of a time in your life when you were on the receiving end of empathy? So purposeful empathy, empathy on purpose, um, and what it meant for you. Fabrice, I'll jump in. And um, Fabrice and I have had some, I'm going to say deep empathy moments together. So I'd like to share one of those. And um, when I thought about uh, a story, Anita, I was, I was thinking about when I've been most deeply impacted by empathy has often been in, in difficult situations of high conflict. And um, so as a general um, learning, I would say, if you can approach conflict with deep listening and pure curiosity, I truly don't understand where you're coming from, but I really want to. Um, this can be very disarming. And I've found this, you know, in difficult work situations, relationship, you know, parenting, I think it works really well. And um, Fabrice and I were uh, working together on something that got very complicated and sticky um, involving a number of other stakeholders. And I was really um, on the defensive and I found Fabrice approaching the situation with, I, I deeply want to understand what's going on here and approaching with curiosity and lack of judgment. Then I, I, I think this, helps us break out of stuck thinking and patterns and so on. That's a great, great story. Thanks for that example. Well, thank you, Barb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess that I, I would go with um, a coach that I had in, in high school. Um, um he he he's a he coached me and we coached together and i don't have a specific um moment to to, to refer to but the, the relationship that we've built over the years and a relationship that is still ongoing because we still see each other um uh you know once uh, once in a while um has always been a relationship rooted in his interest in being present for me when I needed it, um, which is still the case today. Um, and I do thank him for that. And he has been an influence uh, on me and on my vision of, of what coaching uh, coaching is and should be. Um, so, so, yeah, I, would, I, I do think of him in terms of how I've been on the receiving of empathy, uh, feeling that, I was uh, cared for and that he would listen to me um, without, yeah, without being judgmental. Mm -hmm. It's a major gift, eh? Not to judge people and just to hold the space. Mm -hmm. So on that note, I just want to thank you both so much for your time and sharing your stories. Um, I think the thread that I've, I'm ending on is that, um, we all have examples in our life where people have 
shown up with empathy and hold held space for us and it's always very meaningful and it's free and we should do more of it <laughs> so thanks to everyone who's been watching we'll see you next week at purposeful empathy what if you had access to your own council of coaches to help you break free from your thinking clutter make that important decision or liberate you from whatever is holding you back at Grant Here in International, you get to choose the coach of your choice anytime from anywhere. Visit GrantHereInternational.com and harness the power of on-demand coaching today.